With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the second part of our two-part episode this week with Adam Spinella, Coach Spins. What's going on, man? Hey, Sam. Uh, it's good to see you again. It's been a long 20 minutes since we just ended the recording of the last podcast, but uh, basketball never stops and neither do we. So let's just let's just get right into it tonight, huh? Yeah. As mentioned previously, this is being recorded on Sunday. Um, I, I can feel myself getting sick. I have a sore throat. Um, I, I'm not feeling super hot right now. Uh, and I have some real concerns about being able to uh, record later this week. So we're recording a double episode tonight on Sunday. And the second part of this episode is a NBA draft bold predictions episode. NBA draft season is going to kick into gear in full swing next week, starting with the start of the college basketball season. And I couldn't be more excited. I know spins is pumped for it and I'm just ready to go and hopefully I'll be healthy by then. And we'll have a little bit more energy and excitement because I'm probably starting to fade a little bit, unfortunately uh, on this one, but we did want to start with the news about Baba Miller that came out on Saturday, I believe. Right, Adam? Uh, I think it was Friday night here, but yeah, right coming into the weekend, that afternoon, like, you know, late Friday afternoon news dump that nobody seems to want to pay attention to, but everybody has to deal with right away. And then Monday morning comes and you forget about it. Yeah. So, uh, Baba Miller is a six foot 11, six foot 10, something like that forward for the Florida state Seminoles has guard skills, uh, really great transition player late. Uh, growth spurt guy so has real like guard skills in, in terms of being able to handle and being able to do some really interesting things with the ball he's a guy that nba scouts are really excited to see at florida state um had a pretty good opener in their exhibition game i think he had like 11 points in, in their first exhibition game this season he has been suspended by the ncaa for the first 16 games of this season uh, it, it is an egregiously ridiculous decision to me, but let's just kind of dive in to the details here. So uh, Baba Miller had to appeal to the NCA. The appeal was denied. And what happened was prior to his recruitment to Florida state Miller, a kid from Spain, received travel and essentially went to this training camp in the United States um, and got like a flight. And I guess like he got, you know, maybe some travel paid for in the United States, maybe accommodation, something like that. And did, did this camp or whatever, and then went back to Spain. He paid it back as soon as he found out it was against the rules. 
uh, as soon as he and his family found out it was against the rules. And all of this is, again, according to Florida State, at least in terms of the timeline, I'm not going to sit here and say that like I know for a fact on any of this, but according to Florida State in terms of the timeline, this is before Florida State recruited him. There is, as far as I can see, like no real impermissible like recruiting violation here. Right. I yeah. guess it's a benefit insofar as like a kid got to travel the country to go to a basketball camp or go, got to travel the world to go to a basketball camp. But like, it's such a victimless like benefit. I guess it's a thing where this kid was just trying to get better and it it seems completely disproportionate with the quote unquote crime here. Uh, It's just so egregiously ridiculous. Jeff Goodman reported that it was like $3,000 and the family paid it back immediately. This is a $3,000 thing for a kid from Spain whose family probably had no fucking idea what the NCAA rules were at the time. As soon as they figured it out, immediately paid it back. And you're going to suspend this kid for half of a season. This is why people think that this organization is a fucking clown show. Like these kind of decisions where it's not like the school, because again, according to Florida State, this is before the school was recruiting him. It's not like the school is getting like some recruiting benefit and you need to punish the school. The kid went to a basketball camp. The kid went to a basketball camp. And you're going to punish him 16 games for $3,000? It's a ridiculous, ridiculous punishment. That makes no sense to me. Uh, This is the kind of shit that the NCAA needs to curtail. Punishing kids for things that just, it's not like, it's not like he hurt anybody. No. Like this, this doesn't hurt anybody here. It's not like he, it's not like he got like $30,000 in order to go to Florida State. It's fucking $3,000 to go to a basketball camp. What are we doing here? Yeah. Um, I got a lot of thoughts on, on this entire thing and I don't know how to eloquently say them because I get so infuriated when I see decisions like this come down from the NCAA. They talk so much about this idea of amateurism and the value of education that comes with being a college athlete. Who is supposed to educate these kids before they are college athletes as to what is permissible, what is not permissible. I I don't have a great answer to that question. And I find it utterly ridiculous that we punish kids who don't have the adults around them or the systems in place to properly educate them and tell them what they should and should not do, that we end up punishing the kid for that. With a severe, and for somebody who is potentially a first round and higher pick, really impactful type of suspension for him. Um, This whole idea of amateurism, it's so self-serving for the NCAA. When they have something to gain from labeling it as education, 
and making sure that it's within the best interest of preserving their youth in some regard, then amateurism is of concern, number one. But when, when it comes time for punishment and slapping somebody on the wrist for something, they are not treated like an amateur or a minor or somebody else who should have had adults around them to, to handle a lot of this and take the, the brunt of the consequences. It's sickening to me that the NCAA does this time and time again. From all that I can tell, Florida State has not done anything wrong, has abided by the way they should report and go through this entire process and handle it. And they are ones that also miss out as a result of this. I just, how many times do we see instances where justice isn't properly served of we end up punishing those who self-report, who handle things the right way, who are honest and forthcoming, and who have, as you said, victimless sort of crimes and breaking of the rules. While we also see instances of players who are accused of much worse, programs, coaches, institutions that end up having some sort of systemic cheating. And it takes years to come down with any type of punishment. And it is less severe on the adults involved in those circumstances than it is on the kids. It's punitive and wrong, and it makes me sick to my stomach. He broke a rule by the letter of the law. Suspend him for two ACC games and make him attend a quick 30-minute rules thing. Yeah, That's it. Done. Move on from it. No harm, no foul. Now you're not pushing other kids to try to go in different directions. There is a vast discrepancy developing because of the NIL legislation on how domestic basketball recruits and international basketball recruits are handled. And the only message that I'm getting from any of this is that if you are a really talented overseas player with a desire to come and play professionally in the United States, Go play in the NBL in Australia. Go sign with the G League Ignite. Maybe do the overtime elite experience. Because the NCAA, if you are not properly educated from 14 years old and beyond by the people around you to make sure that you are squeaky clean to avoid any of these rule allegations, the NCAA is going to try to fuck you. I'm sick to my stomach for Boba Miller. I'm infuriated that in 2022, after years of trying to deal with this stuff, the NCAA doesn't get it down it pisses me off. And part of the reason for that is because I love Boba Miller. He's an infectious personality, a really, really fun player to watch, and somebody that I think should yeah. be a first-round pick this upcoming year. And we just – the NCAA, just what are we doing, man? What are we doing here? Yeah. It, it's it, it's one of those egregious decisions where I, I just can't – I can't fathom it really um based off the information we have but we shall see uh you know we we will uh we will see baba miller in january at some point okay let's go on we're gonna do bold predictions for the 2023 nba draft we're gonna do three each and then we're gonna jump in to tank watch uh in terms of the teams stock up stock down across the board with tanking this year in the nba uh our three bold predictions adam i will give you the floor we'll go back and forth on each one give me your first bold prediction for the 2023 nba draft 
Yeah, so fast forwarding here about, what, seven or eight months as we get closer to um, the start of this college basketball season and what many people consider to be the official kickoff of the depth of the, the draft cycle. I am looking at the landscape of things right now. I happen to pretty much like this freshman class. I also don't see a ton of returners that pique my interest as high-level draft picks. So my first and biggest bold prediction of this is going to be that zero upperclassmen end up getting taken in the top 20 of this year's draft, an upperclassman being juniors and seniors, that there's not going to be that elder statesman role player type of guy who tends to, to squeak his way in. And I may even go further and say that, you know, it, there may not be a sophomore that enters that group. Like Terquavion Smith is the one guy I have kind of circled right now as being able to be the exception to that. But I believe that there is more depth to this freshman class than maybe some other people out there might. And I'm just not seeing anybody from an upperclassman standpoint who jumps out to me and is that NBA caliber player. Maybe there is a Jalen Williams from Santa Clara that ends up jumping into this class and really moving all the way up. But my bold prediction right now is that this is a, a full-on youth movement at this point in the draft. Okay. So I'm running through drafts of previous years. In 2022 and 2021, we had two upperclassmen taken in the lottery. In 2022, it was Jalen Williams and Ochag Baji. 2021, it was Chris Duarte and Davion Mitchell. Um, in 2020, though, we didn't have any upperclassmen that went uh, the first upperclassman that went was Peyton Pritchard at 26th overall. Uh, in 2019, we had Rui Achimura, Cam Johnson go in the lottery. In 2018, we had, let's see here, we had Mikhail Bridges go in the lottery. We had Jerome Robinson go in the lottery. So typically the number of lottery picks is right around two upperclassmen over the last five years. Uh, there is an example, though, as I mentioned, in that 2020 class where this has happened before. And look, I, I think I do tend to agree with you that it's hard to find the upperclassmen this year. Um, Chris Murray will be an upperclassman. Yep. He will be a junior. That's yep. one name that you could see maybe – that happening with Colby Jones is another one that I like, but I have some questions, especially after hearing a report that Xavier just got annihilated in its first like secret scrimmage. Um, Marcus Sasser, maybe Jaime Hawkes, maybe Caleb love is a guy that scouts love the talent at the very least. Uh, just decision-making is the question for him, but it, it's hard to find them. It's hard to find the guy who it could be. Um, I'd be surprised if any of the upper class bigs went, if only because, God, when was the last time we saw an yeah. upper class big man go in the yeah. top 20? Yeah, um, it, it just doesn't really happen anymore. That's 100% right, Spins. I mean, I, I'm, I am genuinely now trying to go back and find it. Um, DJ Wilson, I think, might be the last oh. one. Wow. Shout out DJ Wilson. Yeah. Like in 2017. Mm. Um, I, I'm really like really trying to find any of them 
realistically. Um, yeah, like Torian well, Prince was a big. Denzel Valentine was a or wasn't a big. Denzel Valentine was a wing. Um, DeAndre Embry was. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, as we're talking about like other guys and upperclassmen that we like, I think there are a lot of point guards and smaller guards out there who would be the the best yeah. bets and guys, but. Even top 20, those don't seem like high-value returns for me, the way that the league is trending and drafting has gone the last few years. like I think we're going to see a lot of younger wings and toolsy athletes and players. And if there's one kind of trend we've seen the last couple of years of, you know, maybe Patrick Baldwin Jr., Peyton Watson, it's way too soon to know on those guys. But even if there's a predicted one-and-done freshman who doesn't live up to the hype playing college basketball, that's still worth a mid to late first round pick investment wise. So I'm just, I'm preparing this to be a really strong youth movement at the top of the, the 2023 NBA draft. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I, this is bold if only because typically there are two that go in the lottery every right. year. Right. But I don't know that I disagree. Right. And in that vein, you mentioned that you're a little bit higher on this freshman class than I am, right? So my, my first bold prediction isn't really something that can be quantified, I guess. But mine is that at the end of the day, as evaluators, as an NBA draft community, as teams that are going through this process, we end up having more questions about the depth of this draft class than what we end up thinking we're going to have right now based off of the enthusiasm that we all have about the guys at the top, right? We have Vic, we have Scoot, we have Amon, we have uh, Nick Smith and Cam Whitmore who we're all really excited about. Like we have some dudes that we're pumped to see this year. I'm a little bit more questionable right now than you are on the depth of this freshman class not in terms of their long-term upside, but in terms of their readiness to enter the draft process this year. Like, I really like a lot of the guys that are ranked lower in this class. Like, you and I have talked about Judah Mintz a little bit. on I love Judah, yeah. We've talked about Terrence Arsenault is another guy that we like. Um, you know, we, we've talked about quite a few players below that like like i've talked about an, another guy that i'm going to bring up in a bold prediction later on um i just have some questions about if those guys are going to get the minutes if those guys are going to be ready to bounce day one uh in this draft and on top of it i keep saying this every year and guys keep improving and getting better but like at some point, the bottom is going to fall out in terms of players having been picked over by the NBA a little bit throughout this shifting paradigm of the NBA, you know, and its pre-draft process, being able to test the waters, being able to um, make NIL money or not make NIL money. Kind of, it, it feels like the wings and guards particularly have been fairly picked over in a real way. And it's going to leave 
a lot of big depth in this class. I think that a lot of guys like Drew Timmy, Armando Baycott, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Colin Castleton, Oscar Shibway, obviously, is another one. There are all these really interesting bigs that very well could end up being NBA players in a depth role. And, like, is that the depth of this class? If it is, I don't think scouts are going to be all that enthused about it, given the way that scouts have proven over the last three or four years of the NBA draft to value the big position in the NBA. Yeah, I I strongly agree with that. I think I'd I'd add point guards into that conversation too. That the smaller, Mm -hmm. like under six foot three point guard position is one that's really going away in the NBA. And I think that there's, there's a lot of depth and high level production at that point in college basketball right now, because you win games with either takeover guards who are really good at creating for everybody else and being point of attack defenders or big men you can throw the ball to on the block to score one-on-one. So the producers in college basketball right now don't necessarily translate to high intrigue draftability. So I I think your instincts on the the questions about the back end of this draft are really strong. Like for me, it's just going to be more so where does that line get drawn between feeling safe with a certain amount of guys than the – I'm intrigued enough to want to take a flyer on them early. And then we get to that really depth group, right? Like, are we talking about 25 to 30 guys that are legitimate first round prospects and type of draft picks that we would feel comfortable with 10 or 12 flyers. And now this is just an issue for the back 15 picks of the draft the later part of the second round. Or are we having a ton of questions even into the top 20 and can't find 10 more guys to fill out that first round. And now we're talking about really reaching for some guys in the later part of the first round and not knowing if there's yeah. going to be depth in the second. So it, that remains to be seen. But I think your point on positions is incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah, like I, I just kind of look at it and I'm like, I think it's somewhere in the middle of the latter point you made where I, I do wonder how many first round grades I'm going to have in this class. I do wonder... You know, typically I have right in the ballpark of 45 to 48, like guarantee contract grades, because uh, that, that tends to be pretty close to the number in terms of guys that get guaranteed contracts. Um, you know, how, how many of those am I going to have this year? I, I'm not totally sure, to be honest. It, it's going to be really, really interesting to see where this class yeah. falls, because yeah. right now, like for instance, like someone like Baba Miller, who you're a big fan of, and I really like the okay. talent level of. Yep. Like, is he is he going to be ready to go? Like, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Is Terrence Arsenault going to be ready to go? Is, um, you know, even someone that's like a Maxwell Lewis at um at Pepperdine, like, is that guy going to be ready to go? I don't know. I, I'm 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 not totally sure. Like, I, I really like Trey Alexander. Is Trey Alexander going to be ready to go? We'll see. It it creates an interesting paradigm though. Um, Okay. Question or no um, point number two, what is your second bold prediction? All right. So uh, my second bold prediction is that there's actually going to be one college program that produces four first round draft picks this year. And that is the Duke blue devils with Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively, Tyrese Proctor, 
and even Kyle Filipowski filling that one out. Uh, I'll deal with Filipowski kind of at the very end there, but I believe Whitehead is a lottery, top half of the lottery type of guy. I've got a borderline top five, maybe top seven grade on him coming into the season. Love his explosiveness, his scoring ability. I think he's an underrated passer on the move in a lot of different ways and just think that his game is tailor-built for the NBA. We've talked about Derek Lively before. We went in-depth on him on the Bigs episode here. A really solid, dependable player on the defensive end of the floor. Has a chance to be very, very good there. The modernity of his offensive game and how consistently he is able to switch on the perimeter is really going to dictate how high his ceiling is in terms of draft position and what NBA teams see in him. I would give those two guys very low of a chance to not be first round, if at all, lottery guys. Yeah, this upcoming yeah. year. Um, that, that's I, I would be surprised if either of those don't go in the first round. I, yeah, yeah, it would be very, very surprising. Uh, Tyrese Proctor looks awesome, and this is a continuation of something that we saw over the summer, which is development of his jump shot. He's a big playmaking guard with elite feel to be a good connector piece. But as long as he's knocking down jumpers and can play off ball, he's going to have really good fit in the NBA in any type of system. Um, rapidly climbing on draft boards in that regard, but early returns out of Duke seem to be pretty strong about the role he's going to play this year and just how ready and mature his game really looks. Uh, I, I'm a big Tyrese Proctor guy, and I think you are as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, look, I've always really liked Tyrese. Uh, I had some questions entering this you know, preseason, I guess, about how he was going to score the basketball. Uh, I still have some questions about like how he's going to score the basketball at Duke, but... Everything I've heard from scouts, I haven't watched Duke at all yet in the preseason, um, but everything I've heard from scouts is that he looks like a first round pick. Uh, defensively, the passing ability is a big guard that's like six foot four, six foot five. Um, you know, the shooting looks better, uh, especially off the catch, apparently. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in on, uh, I am in on Tyrese Proctor for sure. The, the fourth one is where I think you're going to have to sell me a little bit. Yeah. And that's, um, and that's what I, I was, I was waiting at. I was there um, when we did our bigs thing, but I'm a little bit more questionable now, I guess I would yeah. say. So the sales pitch to me isn't necessarily about what Filipowski's role is going to be this year at Duke or you know how he plays and performs. I'm not predicting this massive breakout and, and ability for him to shoot 40% from three and be their best player on the floor and any of that. It's, it's kind of twofold. One is, as we talked about, the depth at the end of the class. I don't see at this juncture in time a ton of other wings or high-level athletes with seven-feet wingspans to sneak into that first round to say, okay, that's a clear top 30 guy where I would dock Filipowski from a spot that I've kind of had him for a while. The, the second part of this is that if you are an NBA team trying to win games in the playoffs, I think it's really important to have – a stretch shooting big man somewhere on your roster, a break glass in case of emergency type of threat that you can throw in there to play either the four or the five. And as we look at the end of the first round, typically the teams that are drafting there are the ones that are trying to compete for, for championships earlier on in their career. I think Filipowski is going to have a lot of uh, 
a lot of issues on the defensive end of the floor early on in his NBA career. That may prevent him from playing a role early on. But if you're trying to find that right guy to come in and, and just you know, be a missing piece on your roster that you don't necessarily have, you've got defensive infrastructure at a championship caliber level, I think Filipowski makes sense as a plug-and-play, bigger floor spacer offensive weapon early on in his career to a point that a, a high-level organization can, can stomach. So we're going to find out on, I believe it's Wednesday, <laughs> if Kyle Filipowski is going to start um, yeah. with Derek Lively because you know the two big combination is a question for Duke, right? Do you play uh, both Filipowski and Lively together? I think we're in agreement that you know Derek Lively is a starter. Like, you know, it'd be Filipowski that would be getting the questionable, uh, you know, decision here. Uh, I've heard really good things about Mark Mitchell for them in the preseason. I've heard he looks like maybe not like an NBA player, especially off the jump, but I've heard he looks really good. His defensive versatility has been very valuable. Um, I've heard some good things about their vets as well, like Ryan Young, um, you know, the the transfer from Northwestern. And I've heard, you know, couple of good like i i wonder if they're gonna be like Jer- jeremy roach like i've heard you know they're, they're gonna be uh, pretty deep uh, or at least like deeper than yep. maybe what people are expecting and yep. you know we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what happens to filipowski I, I i wonder if the situation is right for him to end up as a first round one and done i guess sure. as much as anything I, I love the talent level offensively i just don't know if it's going to make a lot of sense in terms of his um, ability uh, to to put up the numbers and to showcase the lack of flaws that NBA yeah. scouts will want to see. Maybe. Well, and, and I think that's where I'm excited to see how he and Derek Lively play together, because if he can coexist on a court, you know, with a pretty good rim protector and, and a guy who's going to be a solid defensive big at that level, then maybe there's hope for him to play more of that four position in the NBA. I think we're starting to see with teams like Cleveland, you know, even the way the Milwaukee Bucks have played the last couple of years with a, a truer four man in there when they play Portis and Lopez together. Like yeah. we're we're moving back towards size, not necessarily a lack of skill at those positions. You need perimeter shot making, you need guys who are uniquely talented on the offensive end to make it work. But more size is something the teams can get away with now. So w- we'll see how it all plays out. But th- that's one gamble preseason right now. I'm willing to make Duke four first round picks. Kyle Filipowski does enough to keep himself in that conversation for a late first round pick. Okay. I'm not, not opposed to it. I I like the talent level enough to where I'll be interested. Houston played Duke in a scrimmage apparently, and I'm all in on Houston. They apparently, according to Jeff Goodman, uh, beat Duke, but Yeah. yeah, apparently Ryan Young and Mark Mitchell were the standouts for Duke and Duke did not have Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead in that game. Right. But we'll see. We'll we'll see what this looks like. Okay. My second bold prediction. We're going to move out of the NCAA and move into um, move into OTE. Oh. Asor Thompson does not go in the lottery of the 2023 NBA draft. And it pains me to say that because I... I had the absolute best time talking to a Sir Thompson um, 
when we broke down tape together with Amen and Asor, I, I would love to talk to him again. Th- these kids are super emotionally intelligent, mature, um, incredible athletes, really fun to watch play. I'm just worried about the shot with Asor Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm worried about the ability to play on the ball, like in a primary level. And I just wonder what this looks like in the NBA and if teams are convinced that he will shoot because based off the early returns, they've been overseas. They've played quite a bit, you know, based off the early returns in OTE, I believe I've seen their stats page has Asar Thompson at one for 13 from three so far. Um, I would imagine that does not count their European trip or all the box scores I saw like, Oh, for four, one for four from three. He's got to figure it out. Like th- that's what it comes down to. He's really got to show growth this year with the jumper. Uh, they're, they're great workers. Everyone that you talk yep. to with OTE will say they really, really work at it. And I, I think he has a chance to turn it around. Um, but I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about the jumper with a sore. And if he doesn't yep. hit jumpers, uh, I do wonder if he could be passed up. Uh, within the 2023 draft lottery. Yeah, n- not as bold of a prediction as I I think many people would make it out to be. Um, I, I kind of err on the side of agreeing with you in some regard. I think the, the bold part about it is thinking that there are going to be 14 other guys who clearly leapfrog him in terms of upside that don't have either similar type of flaws. That's where I think in that like 10 to whatever range we want to talk about right now, I don't know if I would feel confident picking four guys who have higher ceilings and just show enough impact on the court to go above a sore at this point, but he's definitely four. top half. Of the I, I could find four, yeah. I think for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. Like if it yeah. all comes together, there's, there's a lot of tools there. They're both really good defensively. Um, yeah. I, again, I think Amon's a little bit better defensively. It's, I don't know. I, I hate doing this one. Like I, I almost didn't, I was just struggling to find one um, because I think that so much is up in the air once you get past the top guys, but there's nothing you can really say that's bold about like Vic or Scoot or Amon, unless you want to say like Amon is going to end up going ahead of Scoot, which if you want to make a case for that, uh, I'm willing to listen, to be honest. I I don't agree, but I'd be willing to listen to a case for it. Um, I I really, really like Asor, and I just worry a little bit about where this is headed. Yep. Yeah. And, and look, we're early enough in this draft cycle and college basketball games haven't started yet, at least available yeah. to the public to the point where if we're going to go off of anything we've seen thus far, it's OTE or international guys. And we just haven't seen the strides that we know he needs to make. And we've known coming into the season to feel comfortable with him having a tight grip on being a lottery pick. So I get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you are up number three for you, Adam Spinella. Yeah, I am up here. I'm going to stick around that lottery type of discussion. And as opposed to talking about somebody who is kind of dropping a little bit in that regard, I'm going to go with a riser over the summer, somebody who I've heard tremendous things about throughout the, the fall camp workouts, everything that you can pay attention to at this point, Brandon Miller from Alabama ends up being a top seven pick in this year. Ooh, top top half of the lottery. 
I had him at eight on the mock. <laughs> I don't hate it. So let, let me look right now at kind of the rest of the top of this draft class. There's obviously Victor Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, and Amen Thompson, who people talk about as being in some form. I don't know if there's much debate to the order, but a big three, the three biggest prizes that might be available at the top. Um, Cam Whitmore, Nick Smith, four and five guys that we see conveniently talked about and consistently in those areas due to Smith's scoring ability and Cam Whitmore's freakish athleticism. And I got to witness that firsthand and call far too many timeouts after he beat us in transition. Um, but that's a, that's a good top five. Derek Whitehead, Keontae George, Brandon Miller. Those are the three guys that I'm kind of circling right now to be either within grasp of getting into the top five or at least in that top seven or eight. And yeah. there's something about not just what I'm hearing from people around the Alabama program, but looking at the interviews of the actual players on the team who are talking about him and describe him as something really different and special with the way that he just scores and competes. I hear good things about his defense, which is not something I was anticipating coming into the season. I'm just, I'm ready to buy in on a six foot eight, six foot nine scoring wing forward who everybody seems to indicate is going to have a magical season this year. And by my mark, the toughest conference in college basketball to be in as a recruit in the SEC. Yeah. Everything I've heard, everything I've heard is just so glowing with Brandon Miller that it's hard not to buy into this being right. Uh, He has the size. He has like the perimeter skills. There's a lot here. There's a lot here with Brandon Miller. And this is a guy that I didn't really like as a recruit, to be honest. Like I, I thought he was a little overrated the first couple times I saw him because there's a lot of lot of like heavy mid range gunning, a yeah. lot of like not super high level defensive engagement. It felt like, yeah. but shit, man. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> I, I'm I'm willing to chalk this one up as a loss before he's played a game in the NCAA. Well, I always liked his skill level, but the the question for me was like, is he ever going yeah. to fit as a role player if he isn't this mid range heavy threat in the NBA? Because that's so hard to be. You've got to be super super special to be somebody that commands an offense and is very isolation heavy, playing around the elbows all the time. That's reserved for the best of the best at the next level. And my worry was, is his three point shot going to be good enough? Is his defense going to be good enough to be able to play? off ball share reps with other guys. We may be at the point where it doesn't matter because if everything we're hearing about him is that he's this special on the offensive end of the floor, give him the ball and let him go. Um, I'm setting the bar pretty high for preseason expectations here. Top seven for Brandon Miller. I love it. Okay. Last one for me, Jalen hood Shafino, a guy we've talked about a bit on this show already. Jalen Hood Shafino becomes a one and done first yes. round pick this year. Yes, Sam. Let's go. Um, this one's all going to come down to the shot, I feel like. Um, if he can shoot it from distance, I feel very good about this one because he is 
just kind of an all around wing in a way that teams really desperately look for right now. Um, he's strong. He's a good defender. He makes the right passing read regularly. He can put the ball on the deck in a straight line. He makes decisions on the move. Like he's just a smart guy who really, really helps across the board. He's a Pittsburgh guy as well. Like, let's just be real about that. Shout out. Jalen Yeah. We're all about it. Uh, but more, it's going to come down to the shot. And I've heard enough now in terms of the way he's looked in preseason, uh, where I, I feel pretty good about the fact that he is going to be a very, very high-level player. And I'll go a step further on this one. I think that he, Trace Jackson Davis, some of the older vets like, like Race Thompson, Xavier Johnson, they lead Indiana to a Big Ten title this year. Let's go. And Indiana will be back under Mike Woodson. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And I like Hood Shafino. I have from the time I really watched him play in high school, just kind of a stud. You mentioned the physicality. Um, when you're strong, that's one thing. But when you use your strength consistently yep. in the way that you play, that's a whole different ballgame. And that's where yep. at such a young age, he's already poised with hostage dribbles, with knowing how to use his shoulder to create contact being able to just have that unteachable, like figure it out midair, how to change your angle and be able to just lay it in off the glass. Like he's, he is a jump shot away from being a really, really high level prospect. And I think of him more as like a lead guard than a wing because of the passing ability. I think he's somebody I'd want to have with the ball in his hands, a decent amount. I just, uh, I'm with you, Sam. We're in it. We're kind of vibing here tonight. Uh, a lot of these predictions you're making are making a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> I like the agreements. Yeah. I like the agreements, Spins. Uh, Jalen Hood Shafino in Indiana's first uh, exhibition against Marion earlier this uh, weekend. 11 points in 24 minutes, four assists, only two turnovers. Went 0 of 2 from 3 but five of eight from the field. So a good, solid opening game for Jalen hood Shafino. Um, yeah, I'm a believer. He started in this game. Uh, he played more minutes than anyone in this game, it looks like. Uh, no Trace Jackson Davis in this game, so they started Malik Renault, who I'd imagine is probably going to come off the bench, but Renault had a killer game looking at the box score, 14 points and 11 rebounds. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm yeah. uh I'm excited to see where this goes. The Hoosiers will be very good this year. You know, they finally have a, a top-end creator in that backcourt position. That's been something that's eluded them the last couple of years. Figured out how to lock down the paint with Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. Race is one of the more underrated glue guys in America. And, like, to me, like a sneaky, undrafted free agent type of guy that I'd be looking at. Uh, good defensively. That's the thing. He's so good. And he's athletic. I think his offensive game yeah. has been a little bit stunted just in kind of the way that they play, trying to feed Jackson Davis down on the block as much as they do. And they've got role players and glue guys. You know, there's shooters here in Miller Cop. There's defensive-minded guards who really compete and get after it, like Trey Galloway. There's an, an athletic, toolsy guy in Jordan Geronimo who can do some things on the offensive glass and just be a dose of energy when you need it off the bench. Like I, I really yep. like all of the pieces – that Mike Woodson has to be able to push here. But at the end of the day, you're going to go as far as your best players take you. And that's where I think having the experience of Trace Jackson Davis and the 
just all around craft of Jalen Huchifino can really help the Hoosiers year long. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's all we got for bold predictions. Now it's tank watch time, baby. Let's go tank watch. This is our weekly segment where spins and I dive deep into how NBA teams purportedly at the bottom of the league are playing uh, tank watch stock updates go as follows stock up means that the team is worse stock down means that the team is playing well and i gotta start with the stock down because i'm excited to talk about this team we saved them off of the vibe check uh that we did uh when we released the podcast on sunday night monday morning the utah jazz stock down in the tank watch rankings baby they uh they look very competent. They look like they're having fun out there. Like they're actually just an enjoyable team to watch. Will Hardy has this team like very connected, very together. Yeah. It's really, really just an enjoyable watch offensively. They play well-spaced basketball. They're very together defensively, rotationally. Just a really, really sharp team. You can see immediately why Danny Ainge like prioritized Will Hardy just because their togetherness and their cohesion just immediately. It's like watching the opposite of the Los Angeles Lakers on offense. Like they have a plan every time down the court, they run things. They defensively have very good rotational awareness there. It's really, really impressive. Really, really, really impressive. What Will Hardy's been able to do with this team. Yeah. And it's a group of veterans who all have that chip on their shoulder of like, why are you overlooking us? Why is everybody trying to push us all the way to the bottom? We're just going to come out of the gate swinging and show you. And that's where they're connected on the defensive end of the floor. Because when you have veterans out there, you tend to be a little bit more polished rotationally in the way that you play. They're still not experts at the point of attack, but they have enough rotational coverage to be able to cover up for a lot of that. Offensively though, I mean, you said spacing. That's that's the key for me. They keep the roles really, really simple on the offensive end of the floor, and they know how to space things out. Jared Vanderbilt's just a fun player. Yeah. Uh, Lowry, Lowry Markinen is not quite an all-star necessarily, but he's playing as a high, high, high-level contributor. Let's not yeah. forget, yeah. Seven, he's a seven-footer who's drilling shots from three, is able to take guys off the bounce, hit tough turnarounds. Like That in itself is so rare, and it doesn't get talked, and out of, talked about enough. He's turned into a really good offensive piece for this team now that he's not just a primary floor spacer standing out there and living off of what other people create for him. I think that that's uh, he's one where I wonder if Eurobasket this summer like really just gave him a shit ton of confidence coming it into did. the season yep. because – He's doing the exact same thing he did for Finland at Eurobasket. He is creating off the bounce, creating in the mid post, putting the ball on the deck, attacking. Um, he looks like he thinks every single shot is going in every single time he takes it. Um, he's just playing such confident, aggressive basketball right now. Yeah. Uh, he's been terrific. He's been one of he uh, he's one that I'm going to talk about on the next show with Schindler because we're going to do a little thing um, about some of like the more fun breakout players we've seen so far. Lowry has been regarded as like a starting quality player in the league for a while, but it's clear he's taken a leap in terms of yeah. his shot creation ability. He's shooting over the top of guys. He's making contested shots at a high level. Um, he's just been really good. Just been really, yeah. really good. 
Man, you must have just read the piece I published for SB Nation over the weekend on Lowry because that was exactly the point. Oh, really? And, and Eurobasket being like such a, a shot in the arm for him and showing what he can do as a number one option. Like this is less of a surprise if you're paying attention to how he played over the summer. And, and by the way, quick shout out to Jordan Clarkson, the facilitator. Like he has turned down the unabashed gunner role and really blossomed into somebody that's table setting and taking advantage of the simple reads that come from a well-spaced offensive end of the floor. Like this is a really fun team. Like Kelly Olynyk, you, you mentioned he looks really good now that again, he's getting yeah. consistent minutes. The role for him is a little bit more clarified. They're fun. They're a really fun watch. And I think a lot of that comes from that chip on their shoulder, prove everybody wrong mentality. But, uh, Definitely stock down in terms of the tank here because they are they are winning enough games to take themselves kind of out of that early season part of the conversation. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed the Jazz. They, uh, I, I hope that I hope that we get to see them continue moving forward. I didn't think this team was going to be very good. Uh, best thing for the organization you can make a case is to move some of these guys now that they've enhanced their value but i don't really want to see that like I, i've just enjoyed colin sexton i've enjoyed lowry i've enjoyed the lowry like olenic combination uh with jared vanderbilt like it, it's they're just a fun team they're a really really fun group of guys to watch play right now they're they're, they're doing the nobody believed in us um yeah vibe really well right now vibes for them you know on to talk about the last episode like a four the the vibes are strong in utah right now yeah okay stock down or stock up sorry yeah we're we're gonna have to to (laughs) i'm sick guys (laughs) stock up the houston rockets uh this team is just very young they're just just very, very young. You you put Houston on the list as the stock up team. Uh, go go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, it, when you don't have an adult presence in the room, in the locker room, on court, like, is, is there anybody who plays in Houston that's able to buy a beer? Like, I don't know, but when you have that many young guys around, you're obviously going to take your licks on the defensive end of the floor. But th- this is showing right now. We talked about this in the last episode with Detroit and the importance of some rebuilding teams of having a veteran voice and somebody who can stabilize your presence, both on court and in the locker room being really important because when the young guys don't necessarily know everything that they're expected to be doing, they're taking their lumps. You want to make sure they don't go at each other, that they stay cohesive in a lot of regards. And we saw a little bit of a spat last week, which again, in the grand scheme of things, not a huge deal of Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, just trying to figure some stuff out. Probably defensive coverage breakdown somewhere that they're they're talking about. Um, but, man, wouldn't it be nice to have another veteran and, and presence that's been around the block to be able to tamper that down a little bit. I just think that this is a team on the defensive end of the floor that is not going to be able to generate enough stops to to win basketball games even when their talent level is continuing to be improved. Um you know, I, I like a lot of the individuals that, that they have, but the fit is only going to matter if they can figure out how to construct a lineup that makes sense defensively with all of the guys that they've brought in. 
And, you know, if, if we're talking about segments here, Sam, I want to at least propose one small thing that every once in a while we kind of do an Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here, veteran player of the week on some of these tanking teams. And, like, to me, that's that's Eric Gordon right now. Like, this is no disrespect to Eric Gordon because being the, the only adult presence on a team of youngsters can be yeah. pretty infuriating at times. But, like, I feel bad for the guy because it's it shouldn't be his job to babysit and fix all of these little issues. I think it's pretty clear that's not what should be expected of him for the Houston Rockets. But uh, he he kind of had that face on the bench while that entire spat was going on. Like, oh, this is going to be a long year. So, uh, yeah. stock, stock up tank-wise for the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Rockets right now in their like genuine rotation, so not counting Boban. Uh, they have three guys 26 or older. Uh, Garrison Matthews is 26. He just turned 26. Uh, Jay Sean Tate just turned 27. And then it's Eric Gordon at 34. Eric Gordon is genuinely the only adult here. Um, not to say that like Jay Sean and like Garrison Matthews aren't, you know, um, mature human beings. It's more that like, there's probably a real generational gap here in terms yeah. of like Eric Gordon, not having a lot of guys to hang out with and like not having a lot of fun here. Yeah. Um, Jay Sean has just gotten back as well. Like he's played their last couple of games. And before that, Eric was the only one really. Cause Garrison's playing like 10 minutes a night. So like, I get it. <laughs> like, yeah. If I'm Eric Gordon, I get it, man. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, look, I, I don't know how this is going with Eric. You know, maybe he's like the best guy to have around for the older guys, but or for the younger guys and like is terrific. But like, not everyone wants to be a mentor. Some guys want to go and win, right? I wouldn't blame him if he was thinking that. You know what I mean? Um, and we'll we'll see where it goes for Eric Gordon. I hope he gets traded. I think he still has one good, like useful playoff run in him. Yeah. And I, I do genuinely hope he gets a shot to do that on the last show. I kind of brought up my weirdo Lakers idea, but like f- find him uh, honestly, find me a team that Eric Gordon with his ability to defend bigger guys uh, guard play ability to bully guys and get to the rim um, ability to shoot consistently. Find me a team. He wouldn't help. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Can, can you imagine him on like Portland? Can you imagine him on Phoenix for the love of God? Phoenix should have went and got him last year. Uh, like, can you imagine him on Memphis? Like there's so many teams that he would legitimately really, really, really help. I think by his presence. Um, so yeah, I'm rooting for an Eric Gordon move at some point. Well, and, and he was a freshman in high school when his starting backcourt was born. So like, it's just, yeah. Feel for the guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's all I've got Spence. What, uh, what do you got? Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people you've got coming. Yeah, uh, you know, more pieces coming at SB Nation, still getting through 
our season previews over at the box and one for college basketball, as well as starting to detail kind of not just the top teams in the country, but the top recruits entering the college basketball season and players that we're looking at for the NBA draft. Uh, find me at the box and one underscore on Twitter, Adam Spinella on YouTube or my Substack page to get a bunch of direct to your inbox NBA draft and college basketball, as well as some NBA content. But, uh, Highlight of my week here with you, Sam. I'm assuming that you haven't watched any movies, right? Oh, no, I have not watched a, a movie. It's basketball season, basketball. right? It's basketball. So, yeah, I've watched a couple. One of them is Barbarian. And we're going to talk about Barbarian with Mark Schindler on the next episode, because I know Mark watched it as well. Um, wild fucking ride. Uh, what else have I seen? Uh, Laura and I have been catching up on TV. So we caught up on Abbott Elementary. Have you watched Abbott Elementary yet, Spin? Yeah, I, I haven't. I've heard good things. I'm much more of a TV show guy than a movie guy. And I've heard I need to watch Abbott Elementary because I teach. But uh, it's so yeah, fun. I haven't yet. Yeah. It's so sweet. It's so nice. It's just like the best palate cleanser TV show that you will huh. find. Um, huh. And then Laura and I finished. Um, Obviously, House of the Dragon is now done. We're done with that. Um, we finished Rings of Power late last week as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if I want to dive too deep into those. I think Schindler has watched both of those. So maybe we'll talk about it on sure. the Thursday pod with Schindler. Um, but that's, uh, that's all I've got here. Um, not sure what I will have out by the time this episode goes up. Uh, shout out to spins for being willing to record for two hours with me on Sunday, because uh, again, I think there's pretty real chance that I'm just like, not going to be real functional on Monday or Tuesday. I'm not feeling super hot. So uh, thanks to spins. Thank you all for listening. Uh, please remember rate, review, subscribe to everything. Can support the show. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, game theory podcast with Sam Vecini. Uh that's all I've got until next time. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. We're back here with Duran Holmes, a six foot 10 forward center, big man, for the Dayton Flyers. I'm going to give a quick little intro on who you are, Duran. And boy, there are a lot of accolades to read off here. So Duran Holmes will be entering his sophomore season this year. Last year's first year at Dayton, he was A-10 all-defense team, A-10 all-freshman team, A-10 rookie of the year, second team all-Atlantic 10, and all-Atlantic 10 all-tournament team. Duran averaged 13 points per game. Uh, six rebounds, 2.3 blocks. He shot 65% from the field. We're just reading them all off, reading off all the accolades. Did I miss anything, Duran? No, sir, you did it. <laughs> How's it going today? I know you had a big day because you had media day obligations and school and everything like that. Yeah, it's, it's going pretty well. You know, um, the day's been a lot, but um, it's overall been pretty good. So uh, I just kind of want to give you a chance to introduce yourself now that I've gotten through all of the basketball accolades to the audience. So how would you go about kind of introducing yourself and your game and your journey at this point to just an audience as a whole? Um, I've been playing basketball for a while. You know, um, my mom coached me uh, at the YMCA leagues when I was younger at 
Um, when I got to like middle school, going into high school is when I really fell in love with the game. Uh, so I just been, you know, do what I am asked um, on the court. And I feel like, you know, just the people who have been around me have helped me and mold me into who I am today. Yeah, you know, I've, I've kind of talked to some people around you. And one of the things that they always bring up is the fact that your mom was your first coach, right? So what did you learn from your mom as you were kind of developing uh, within the game of basketball? Um, she did coach with a lot of energy. So just like the energy she brought, that's kind of translates. I, I, I've always had it, you know, even when I didn't play basketball, like um, when I was younger, I just love to have energy now, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always good to hear just in terms of just what that what that energy is. And it shows when you play, right? Like the two things that stand out to me are your motor and your feel for the game. I think you are a really, really smart basketball player in a way that, you know, guys who dunk a lot and block a lot of shots. I don't know that they get a lot of credit for being super intelligent basketball players. Mm-hmm. It's all run and jump, right? But we're going to go into it a little bit as we dive into the tape here. Uh, just how smart you are on the court and the way that you think about the game. How did you develop that kind of feel for the game? Um, IQ-wise, I would say just learning how to play basketball. You know, um, growing up, you, I do watch a lot of, like, you know, highlights in the highlight film. So that's all really cool. But um, just, like, when I first got into high school, um, when I was at Millennium, they did a great job of teaching the fundamentals of basketball. So, just learning how to play like that, you know, I really um, have been taking things away from that. Where, where did you get the motor from? Where where does that come from? Because you you just always are constantly you're moving your feet, you're twitchy, like you're you're moving all the time. Where does that motor come from? <laughs> um, it just comes from heart, you know. Um, my family's real animated. We're all like we like I said earlier. My mom has a lot of energy. My dad, like we all just love energy. So I, I feel like if I'm gonna do something, I have to put my energy in it. Um, I have, you know, have to move around, just, I have to do something out there. So I think that's a great thing. I've, I try my best to bring, you know, that's where I think I got it from. Yeah. You come from a basketball family as well. Like you said, your mom was your first coach and your brother is a high level prospect as well within his class. He's 15 or 16. Uh, how old is your brother? He's 15 right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, upcoming, you know, high level basketball prospect as well. How did kind of growing up in that environment kind of inform who you are today? Um, it, it's been great growing up in that environment. You know, my dad knows a lot about the game as well. So um, just hearing everybody's thoughts and opinions, it, we're all really competitive with, with each other. So, you know, um, just listening to all my family members, it's been helpful, you know, as I've been growing up. One of the things that also stands out to me about you is, you know, given all of the many accolades I just read off in terms of how successful your freshman season was, uh, you know, you certainly had a lot of NIL opportunities, but a lot of the things that you've chosen to dedicate your time to are more like service based or nonprofit things. Uh, what are some of the projects that you've kind of gotten involved with uh, via NIL and uh, via the opportunity to kind of work with some of these organizations? Um, you know, like I've got some with like Lee's Chicken, um, which is a big, you know, food chain around here. And then White Island, which is um, a car dealership, which has been pretty cool. But um, I also do one with like Carter Kids Academy, you know, getting back to the kids in need, um, to the kids who need like good role models um, as a gr- growing up. So um, little things like, you know, there's deals here and there, but I really try to make sure I can incorporate, like, how can I help out, you know, in a way, like, with these NIL deals. So I definitely look into that type of stuff. 
Yeah, and I saw that you did a basketball academy like this summer, yeah. right? You did a camp, and one of the things your dad told me was that you know when you were younger, like you were always someone that was trying to like help out like kids that you know either maybe just weren't as good as you, or you were trying to help uh you know just your mom coach on the side right it just it, where does that like kind of that teaching mindset that that desire to help other people learn uh come from and why is it so important to you um it's important to me because like when i was younger i wasn't really that good um and <laughs> I, I started to get better towards high school but i wasn't really like i was the manager of my middle school team in tennessee so like just like seeing it from that perspective so i understand how some kids feel and I, I just wanted them to know, you know, that there's always a way um, to get where, to where they want to get to, you know. Um, so, like, just helping them with the little things. It's all about habits. So, on and off the court, the habits that they bring to the table every day is what I really try to focus on. So, as we're kind of diving into the tape here, so let, let's kind of get started on your game. I'll just kind of give you the floor before I kind of – dove into it a minute ago how would you describe your own game before we start to really dive into the details here I just try to keep it simple um I really try to do a good job getting to the open spot um you know I try to use physicality when it's needed you know I definitely love to have energy and uh, I try to have a high IQ and make the right play so I'm really glad you brought up that idea of just trying to get to the right spot, right? Because I think that's the thing that stands out to me most. And I kind of want to jump into that to start. So the thing that, you know, you get, I, I think, the most accolades for is your pick and roll ability, your ability to find that open space in the dunker spot. And just in general, your ability to finish. Like I said, you shot 65% from the field this year. You actually finished sixth in the country last year in dunks. You dunked the ball 82 times, which I think goes to show just how quick you are off the ground, how springy you are. But it's more than that because you watch, for instance, this clip here. You're going to come up. You're going to set an off-ball screen. You're going to set second off-ball screen. Then you're going to come back. And just look at how quickly you kind of vacate that area. And you see the little confusion here, I think, between the two defenders in all of these actions. So you're going to see two guys go toward number 24 here mm-hmm. uh, at the top. And you just recognize that immediately and just immediately shoot to the rim right before you even make contact with the man you're supposed to be screening. And I think that that's just like intuitive, right? You just see that there's that confusion. You just know to go. Is that kind of, is that kind of what you're reading here? Yes, sir. Like, like you said, I saw both defenders go to uh, Kobe Elvis. So I just tried to have a fast, you know, twitch to where I could burst to the rim pretty fast, you know, um, and Miley passed it like right at the right time to where I could just explode off the ground real quick, simple dunk, you know? Um, so I just tried to read what the defense was doing. Yeah. I think this is just one of those like really, you know, high IQ plays that we're going to talk about here. And it's something that stands out in all of your tape. You just know immediately when to roll to the rim, you know, be it you're making contact or not uh, on the screen. You just kind of have that feel on when exactly to dive or when not to dive, which is something we'll talk about in a minute here. So you're going to see another ball screen here against UMass. You know, again, you just know immediately before you even make contact here that you just have this little open area. So what are you reading here at the mesh point of the screen? So at this type of screen, what I was reading is the defender decided to jump off and not really get hit by the screen. So I knew Mally was going to have the advantage on the big man. So the big man would have to step up. So since he steps up, I knew I could beat the defender that was guarding. Who's that over there in the uh, the slot area? 
I think that's RJ. So I knew I could beat him to the rim. And the help side guy, he was a little late. So I knew if he threw it up, um, I'd be able to catch a lob. Or we could have somebody over on the skip pass in the corner. So how much are you reading this backside guy here, number 23 on UMass? How, how much of when you're timing your role is dependent upon how late or how early or how attached he is to the shooter in the corner? I'm trying I'm trying my best to read him pretty well. If he's really attached to the corner, I try to roll as fast as I can. If he's playing like in the middle, I try to fill it out before I just just go, 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 you know. Yeah. Um th- these ball screen just reads in intelligent roles, I think that they are something that will translate to any level, right? It's something that, you know, really works within the Dayton offense now. They would really work uh if you're able to get to the NBA at one point. But more even than that, timing the quick rolls, I love your feel for giving your teammates space, right? You seem to have this understanding of when to time your rolls not only fast, but also when to slow it down here. So you're going to take a second, you're going to take a beat. Instead of turning your hips and going because you see that he's kind of snaking the screen, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then you see it and you dive baseline and you know that you have the advantage on this guy. I think you're a really underrated finisher as well when you're not dunking. You have real touch. You have real body control as well. Um, so what are what are you seeing here? In this situation, I hit the guy a little bit. Elvis got him on his back. So since he got him on his back, I didn't want to roll right into him. You know, Coach Grant was talking to me about that, you know, um, just making sure I stay out of the way when, you know, the guard's going to the middle and it's all clustered up. And I found an opening over there on the side, and then I tried to just – use a face-up move and go low. Um, the, uh, the Vanderbilt big is a little bit bigger um, at the time, so um, I felt like I had a quicker advantage um, just going by him like that. So I just tried to go by him and go up pretty fast. Yeah, and this is Liam Robbins. He's a really yeah. high-level shot blocker, uh, really, He's really long. Good. He's seven foot. Yeah, I can actually step out and shoot a little bit. Um, but here, I love that you know that you're going to have the leverage on him if you can get – kind of below his hips low man wins right if you can get Mm -hmm. below him you're going to be able to beat him to the spot and he's not going to be able to close that baseline ability um really really smart play there and then you're going to see another one here where you know you're just coming and then instead of rolling all the way to the rim which honestly you probably could have done but you know this guy here in the right corner is you know there's a chance that if you roll right to the rim he probably reads that and rotates over i love how instead you pin your man high here and cut your roll short and just create all this open space for your guard to pass the ball into with an entry pass i think it's really really smart to cut this short is that kind of exactly what you're reading yes sir so we're taught in our system you know roll but if you have a guy on your back you can seal him you know and um, Mm -hmm. it can be a lob pass over the guy and if the help side does decide to sink down, that's just a skip right to one of the corners for a three. Yeah, no, and we're going to talk about your passing because even though you only averaged, uh, I think, like 1.3 assists per game last year, you're a very high-level passer, and I think that's going to play really, really well as you continue to move up levels. Yeah, I, I just love everything about this play. I think it's a really smart pin high. And then we're going to get to this one as well where this isn't a pick and roll. This is just you kind of understanding the space and understanding who's guarding you. So let's go through and watch this, and I just kind of want to give you the floor here to see what you're reading with your man. Right. So it looks like you read your man here. Number three is going to help onto the uh, in double for some strange reason off of you. 
Right. I, I don't know why he did that. <laughs> if he does, if he does like that, if I see a guy do that, that's an immediate dive probably. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at the help side guy, um, he was a little bit smaller, so I thought I had an advantage. You know, uh, Tamani does a great job of passing that up, um, and I had a wide open shot, if not corner. But um, I thought it was, a, I thought it was just a good dive opportunity. Yeah, I, re- I really love Tamani's skill level here too. Yeah, he's we're gonna, yeah, we're we're gonna see a lot of Tamani in these clips. I'm a big fan. Uh, I really love his passing. He can shoot a little bit. Real athlete. A really kind of perfect complement to you in the front court. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just a it's a perfect read here. Again, it gets to show off your IQ in terms of just what you're seeing. Your rim running. Just as soon as you see that guy help off, it's just an immediate instinct for you. You just know right then to go. Uh, but here we're going to see the other stuff that I think is underrated with your game and just really impressive. You can handle the ball at a high level mm-hmm. for a guy that is traditionally a big. So we're going to watch here. You're going to get an ISO in a mismatch here with a smaller player. He's going to just try and let his big take you off. And then for some reason, just kind of doesn't really help. Once you get all the way to the rim, he tries to make that auto switch that – there's not really communication here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you get this pump fake, it goes to show your body control and your ability to handle the ball. Uh, how did you kind of go about developing this level of balance? Because that's what it takes here. It takes like real high level balance, which is right. uh, an advantage that you have on a lot of centers, I think, particularly. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I just they were playing like a tandem defense. So they they would like put their two bigs like at the free throw line and at the bottom. So uh, I was just trying to pause, read the floor really fast. Play off of two feet is like, I, like you said, with balance, I feel like that's um, the best way for me to like, you know, get off and get up like on balance and get a good shot. So I just tried to pivot, you know, and just stay my ground and place, you know, play smart and slow and, you know, go up. And again, you're going to see great bend on that drive, right? It's something that's going to be kind of a, a continuing theme as we go through these clips, just you play with terrific bend. Okay. So this is going to be just you reading the backside of the play. You pump fake your man, you bend, you get beneath them and then you go up for the dunk. What are you seeing here? So with that play, I tried to, so he caught it. I dive and I'm just looking at the back of his head. He looked like he was too focused on Tamani just in case that uh, Tamani would try to make a move. So I try to sneak behind him. Um, Tamani recognizes it and makes a great pass. And I just pump faked. Um, he got him in the air, and then I was able to go up. Yeah, I, I think it's, a again, just a real understanding of space. You know that Tamani's left-handed. If right. you go baseline here and get this help man out of his way, he has a chance to drive. But right. you also are creating an opportunity for yourself here by – just this guy being very focused on Tamani with the help. It's a really, really sharp play. And then this one, it just gets to show off your ability to handle the ball. I think, you know, this is going to get rotated or no, you have the ball here and then you're going to drive all the way to the rim. Honestly, you have a layup here potentially, Mm -hmm. but you know, you're just kind of reading your man vacates, you drive and you hit this kick out. That's a really hard kick out for guys to hit your size. So, yeah, I mean, how did you uh, – most bigs can't actually handle the ball like this. How did you go about developing this? Just try to have body control. You know, when I do have situations where I have the ball in my hands, you know, it might not be likely where I'm dribbling it a lot, but, um, like, situations with like, a DHO keep, um, just being able to have body control and play with, with patience, um, I just try to make sure those things are in line. 
Yeah, very, very patient. And, you know, this is going to transition into your passing ability. Like I said, only 1.3 assists per game last year, but that drastically underrates your skill as a passer. This is just something that you see all the time in the NBA. You see it with high level spread offenses where, again, instead of rolling all the way to the rim, this is is this a zone that they're playing here? Like kind of a spread um, zone, it looks I like? Think it's, yeah, I think it's kind of a zone that they're playing right now. And I just saw that they're both down, so I roll all the way down there. Just go to the pocket, you know. Um, somebody's going to be open if I catch it in the middle of the floor. People are going to collapse. Ray wide open, really good shooter, so. Yeah, and, you know, this is the kind of play where when teams, you know, in the NBA and college, they're going to put two on the ball here, right? And you mm-hmm. just immediately recognize there's two on the ball and that your move here is to short roll and create a target, right? Yes, uh, that short roll game, you know, honestly, you have both kickouts here. How do you decide on which kickout to hit? I just try to read the, the defender. And right. Yeah, I just try to read the defender's eyes. So, you know, maybe sometimes I might fake that pass and pass it to the same side. But I thought they were farther away from Kobe, so um, I just thought he was open at the time. Even though Stock could have been open, but they were all collapsed. So just trying to read what's open the most. Yeah, the the opposite corner is something that stands out for me. It feels like you're always looking opposite corner, basically as soon as you catch in that short roll area. Yes. And I think that you know th- this isn't. I don't know if this is an opposite corner or not, but you're going to screen, you're going to rescreen, you're going to short roll when they put two on the ball. And then you're just going to stop and survey, it looks like here, right? Yeah, Try to pause looking- for a second and read the floor and just see where the defenders are. And at this point, you know, they were like playing pretty down. And Tamani's, you know, now he's a really great, really good shooter. Um, but he's capable, like he can hit that shot. So I, I passed that out to him and I'm confident in him taking that. Yeah. And I like here the thing that makes your ability to handle such a weapon is that you use it to collapse defenders. Like you actually put the ball on the deck here once and it forces those VCU guys to come into you, right? Mm-hmm. It forces them to collapse into you. And then you have the wherewithal to actually read. Like I have no doubt that if that corner man collapsed even heavier to you, that mm-hmm. you'd be able to hit that corner kick out, right? Yes, that, that's just kind of what you've got in your bag and in your tool set here. So, and then this final one here, this is again, just going to be the opposite side kick out where you're going to catch you're going to sh- almost like between short and long roll, and then you're just going to look opposite. So what are you seeing here? Um, like in that situation, I'm, I'm kind of seeing the help side. So when I roll down, I look and I kind of see, you know, I don't think I recognize it yet, but when I catch it, I'm already thinking like I see like three, four guys up there. So somebody on our team is going to be open, and I, I'm knowing opposite is going to be open. And it's Stafford. So he did, made a great cut, you know, and uh, got an easy two because of that. Yeah, he's just so open. Like, I think that you're 100% right. Like, just looking at how many defenders, like you're counting, right? Like, you're counting defenders. Yeah, and it's I just see like three, a, four people up there. So I'm like, okay, somebody is open. Yeah. And again, for you, it's just auto. You're looking opposite corner. Like, that. that's something that's just, like, so readily available for you. Uh, you just know almost instinctually that that opposite corner – that's going to be open a lot of the time with the way that defenses play nowadays. The other thing that I want to talk about with you offensively is your shooting. You know, you only hit 58% from the foul line. I think you hit 29% on your jumpers, but this thing is like far from broken. Like just kind of looking at it. I mean, look at this thing. It's pretty smooth. It's pretty clean. You hit a couple of threes last year. You hit a couple of mid range jumpers. 
I think you can do that. How, how are you going about developing your skill uh, as a shooter? It's really confidence, um, just being able to take that shot. You know, now I'm a lot more confident than I was. You know, I'm not going to come out shooting like a bunch of threes, but at the same time, like I'm going to be like capable. I'm able to, you know, knock that shot down now. So um, just staying confident because I feel like my form is pretty good. You know, just being able to not overthink it and just shoot it when it's ready, you know. What are some of the things that you worked on cleaning up with it this summer? Like cleaning up with it? Yeah, mechanically, I just try to keep 90 degrees, you know, in the elbow, you know, feet, make sure my feet are set, you know, um, make sure I'm able to like either get a good hop into it or like a one, two step left, right, you know, just making sure like those types of things. Coach, our coaching staff has done a great job helping me out with that type of stuff, just staying, you know, confident in doing those types of things. Okay, so let's go to defense. Do you like playing defense or offense more? Oh, that's a good question. I like both. It's that's hard. I love defense. I love defense. That's yeah, tough. like I said, all defense team in the A ten last year. You had a great defensive year, and I, I think that your superpower defensively is the ability to block jump shots. Right? Yeah. Like your ability to block jump shots is something that I haven't really seen yeah. since Robert Williams uh, at Texas A and M, and you know, obviously now center for the Boston Celtics. This is something that he had in terms of timing. Uh, This is just an incredible highlight. This is such a fun highlight for you. You're going to block the shot and you're just going to go. So when you're going up to try and block a jump shot, how are you getting that sense of timing down? So what I try to do is beat the guards or whoever's trying to shoot over me. I feel like my hands are decently quick for a big man. So I feel like my reaction time is pretty good. So I try to, you know, keep my hands at a spot where I can reach it when he does shoot it. So um, when they do pull up, I just try to go to the ball. I don't try to slide under them. Um, just try to read where the ball is going to be. And just it doesn't have to be a hard block. We just like alter the ball or like, you know, just tip it to where it leads in the direction of the other way. Yep. Yeah. You're, you definitely are not like a swatter out of bounds, right? Like you can at times, but like you're trying to make a play for your teammates or you're trying to, you know, just get your hand up there because like you said, it's quick hands. You really do have those. And then here's another one here. We were coming around. I was trying to remember this one myself as I was watching it. Uh, So this is one where you're, containing in a drop coverage ball screen you're semi level at the screen level and this guy's going to spin and you're just going to catch him so what what is your reads on all of the what are your reads on all these plays so i'm going to push right and go back close out i kind of had a feeling he was going to take the drive and pump fake because i feel like he thought i was going to try to run him off the line which so he did so he drove um he tried to spin and i knew the type of spin he made when he leaned off of that leg i felt like he was going to go up so i looked at his eyes as he was shooting the ball. And then after that, I went straight for the ball and just tried to uh, tip it out. So you're actually reading the type of spin in terms of where his feet are underneath him here. Yes, sir. If you look at his like leg, like the way he kind of like propels off of that last spin, um, I can tell that he's about to go up for a shot. He's not looking to pass it off of that unless it's like a last second. And like, you can look where he kind of like, brings the ball up with his hands at the same time. So I read his eyes. looks like he's looking at the basket. Then I just try to go for the ball as quick as I can. Yeah, I I love that. I think that one thing that's really underrated here about this play is just how balanced your closeout is, right? Like you're stepping tight 
and then you drop your hips real quick because you're still on balance. You're able to do that. That's something that, again, as you move up levels and you have to guard bigs in space, this is something that I think you're going to have an advantage on guys on because of your balance and quickness. And it's just such a big skill as you continue to move up levels and as you continue to play in college. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, so here, this next play, I'm pretty sure this is another set of you blocking shots just in a slightly different manner. So again, you know, you're coming up. This is you just containing. That's right. These are going to be clips of you containing ball handlers. Uh, so you're coming up. You contain, you recognize that he goes around the screen the other way, and you're just able to contain him. How have you worked on your lateral quickness and footwork? Because I think you slide really, really well. Yeah, so um, our strength coach, we do like a variation of things before we start lifting to work on our balance um, for that type of, for those types of situations. And then also just, you know, um, they teach us on defense to make sure we keep our hand, like hands up when he, you know, I feel like he's going to shoot it. I just got to have my hands up just in case, just to be ready. And then once again, like, I saw the way he kind of like, I don't know if it was a spin, but the way he kind of went right before he was about to shoot, I could tell something was about to happen. So I just don't try to foul him, but I try to lunge for the ball on him a little bit. Like off that spin, I could tell like that last that last time he like brought the ball down and he looked, he was about to go up. I, I just kind of sensed it. Yeah, and like you can see here, I mean, again, like you mentioned the high hands. That's absolutely something that I wanted to bring up as well. You're just always, you know, creating more of an impediment for these guards, right? Like it's hard, you know. How, how do you have any idea what your wingspan measurement is? I'm sure uh, that it's very long. Like it, it, it looks long and it, it just gets into the eye line of players, right? Like that's your goal, it seems like. Yes, sir. So here, this is going to be you. You're going to get stuck on an island with Yuri Collins, yeah. right? And Yuri Collins he is really good too. Yeah, so. yeah, you know, one of the highest level assist men in college basketball last season. Really quick point guard. Mm-hmm. They set a high ball screen here in the middle, and you're just going to get stuck here. And right. you don't worry. You just sit down. You get your arms extended, and. You know, I think that he just decides to go up and shoot this and you're ready to time it with the block shot. But I think that this ability to sit down, this ability to bend, you know, some bigs, they just go out and they don't have that even ability to bend. You've already cut them off once. So right. he's already worried about trying to get past you. I mean, <laughs> like, he probably can't get past you, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so you're go ahead on this one. Yeah, so I just kind of read um, with a lot of, like, especially point guards, if I try to see how much taller I am than them. So with Yuri, you know, I feel like I had a good height advantage on him. So I try to, like, bait him, you know, uh, act like I'm playing back. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm scared of you driving on me. Like, I, you know, uh, make him feel like he's open. And in the last second, I try to go up there as he's going up for the shot, like quick feet. Um, but I really just try to bait in those situations when I get stuck with a guard like that you know because they're so quick so the blow by you know it's, it's a lot it's a mental game for that for these, these type of situations well and I, I think that what he's reading here in this game of cat and mouse is that you drop your right foot here mm-hmm. and he's thinking there's no way you're going to be able to recover right yes. there's just no way that you're going to be able to get to his shot but you're just ready you're, you're reading that it's coming right you're reading that this pull up is coming and so, I love that you kind of refer to it as a game of cat and mouse, right? Because that's what it is. It's just yeah. a game of cat, cat and mouse. Um, 
this one here is just a fun clip where you do kind of everything that you're capable of all in one single like 15 second uh, situation here. So you're out on an island with a guard here against Toledo. Uh, this might be sincere carry. You block the shot here. You come back, you recover, and then here you are. You're ready at the rim. You're ready to try mm-hmm. and block this dunk attempt. And then you lead the break, right? Like you can handle the ball and pass and Tamani misses the dunk, unfortunately, (laughs) but you know, it's kind of everything encapsulated the ability to block shots, the ability to contest at the rim, rebound the ball, grab and go push, pass it off. It's all just so balanced and coordinated. I think it kind of just goes to show how your game is simple. Like you brought up the idea of keeping it simple, right? But Mm -hmm what you're actually capable of on the court is not all that simple. Like you can do a lot of different complex things that bigs can't do. So as, as we're rolling through this tape here, what are we reading uh, on your end? So I read, he was going to try to pull up when he took that first step, you know, um, when he, like when he, he's dribbling, dribbling and off this step right there, I already knew he was going to shoot it. So I, mm. I kind of had my hands a little bait him a little bit. And once he shoots it, I just try to have my hands uh, try to get up as fast as I can. You know, I try to read yep. those, those steps like that. Um, he grabs it. You know, I'm just trying to stick with him at this point. That was a good pass out. I try to rotate over. Um, he he almost gets gets off the dunk. You know, I, I didn't jump yeah. in front and strip the ball. Um, when I did get the ball in uh, off of the rebound, I realized on the court that it's just kind of me and Tamani um, running, and we see, like, we, I have an advantage. Usually I won't try to push the break like that. I'll just right. get it back to the point guard or um, a guard. But in this situation, I feel like we had an advantage. So I tried to just lead off to Monty and get, he got the foul. Man, I feel bad. I got to stop showing this missed dunk from Tamani because <laughs> this is a yeah, that was this a killer play. Yeah. Um, but here, I think what you're doing really well here as well is you see that this man, he's inside number 24, which is, is that Kobe? I believe. And he's inside. So you have to kind of respect this potential for a dump off here. Right. So your arms extended, you're trying to cut off the dump off while also trying to make a play on the ball, right? You're also trying to contest and finish. It's a complicated thing. You kind of bring up the idea of, you know, maybe you didn't get up as much as you would want, but even just your presence there is what's important, right? Yes, sir. So this is the last one, and this is just going to be a help side read, right? Like mm-hmm. you do block a lot of jump shots, but you know you're a terrific help side defender as Appreciate well. It. You're going to come through. Here you go, man comes off and bam, it's just there. You're mm-hmm. ready. Your team grabs the ball. Where right. are you looking at here? So he drives it right. Uh, I'm. I see my man sneaks, but that. Uh, I, I think that Safa Safa's man got open too. So I kind of have to play two in this situation. Um, right. So I'm just reading him, and as he makes that pass, I know he's going to probably try to go up instead of make the extra pass off of tendencies. So um, I just try to, you know, read the help side and uh, go verticality with him. So how much are you kind of reading into tendencies on scouting reports? A lot. Whenever you're going into games? Um, A lot. You know, our, they do a great job of the scouting reports here, uh, the coaches do. And I also watch a lot of film on synergy and stuff, just seeing tendencies and certain things that uh, different players uh, like to do when they're on the court. So um, that does alter my decisions. So I do make certain decisions based off of other players' tendencies. You know, Mm. if I see the same habits over and over, I know, okay, I probably need to do this with this guy or I probably need to do this with this guy just off of watching a lot of – just watching film and 
you know, reading scouting reports and stuff like that. Well, it goes to show, I mean, within your game, again, like part of being like the high IQ player you are is preparation, right? Like it seems like you're always prepared and ready for what the team is going to show you. But more than that, like it seems like you're a student of the game. Who are some of the players that you watch uh, in order to try and improve your own game? Um, I, I don't really play like him, but I really watch a lot of Draymond Green. I like the way um, he leads the team and the little things he does for like to be a winner. You know, mm-hmm. um, I like Nicholas Claxton's game off of like pick and roll action. Um, just the way he moves with his body is pretty well. Um, there's a lot of them, you know. Um, I, I like I like a lot of players, but those are the two I probably say I watch the most. Obi Toppin, obviously, the way he runs the floor, I really try to, you know, do the same with him, you know. So it's little things from everybody I try to pick up. Well, yeah, and it's an exact scheme fit, right? Like this is this is the scheme Obi played in, right? Yeah. So it's it's a perfect perfect little match for you. I'm sure yeah. that you know Coach Grant is probably like, here, this is what Obi did, you know, coming into the season last year. This is how he ran this action. You know, you're the same kind of athlete at the very least that Obi is. So it's probably very helpful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Obi might have a little yeah, yeah, bit more hops than you do. You might have the length and time. You have length and timing on him, though, which I think is valuable. Yeah. Fast brain, uh, Duran. That's the goal. Appreciate fast it. fast brain. Um, you know, yeah, I think that this is, this is kind of everything that I've got clips-wise. I mean, what are some of the things that – you spent the summer really working on to try and improve your game and try to take that next step this year? Um, honestly, I've been trying to gain a lot of weight, um, stay in the weight room. That was my biggest goal this summer. So I feel like I've done a pretty good job with that. Um, other than that, just like shooting, like, like just staying consistent uh, free throw line and like just having confidence in shooting and practice, you know, because that's where it happens in the five on five. You know, you can get up as many shots as you want, but if you don't do it in live action, then, you know, it's not it's not worth it. And then just being able to make good reads off, you know, uh, face-up game in the post, just reading, seeing. I know teams might send have different strategies this year because um, our team all around is pretty good. So just trying yeah. to make sure I learn how to play with my teammates to the uh, full capability I can. Yeah, and that, that's why Dayton was such a good fit for you. I feel like uh, the way that Anthony Grant, your head coach, recruits, he tries to recruit a lot of guys that are very skilled. And it's just it's hard for teams to like help off of, like, for instance, Mustafa, if he's in the corner, it's hard for teams to help off of the other shooters because, you know, Coach Grant is smart and he recruits really high level shooters and skill guys that you know, make it all the more dangerous for you whenever you're diving into the basket because there's just less help on you, right? Yes, sir. Uh, so what made you, let's kind of close here, what made you choose Dayton and what are some of your goals uh, for this upcoming season? Um, what made me choose Dayton is me and the, um, my trainer, uh, August Mendez, uh, we were looking over film in uh, Arizona when we were working out and um, we were looking at like, you know, the team when Obi, uh Obi's team, like 2019, 2020, the way they played, you know, the style of play, obviously Obi played a big factor in it. Um, so yeah. we actually reached out to Dayton and then um, the coach, you know, Greer uh, talked to the coaching staff and they were uh, thankfully like they were able to, you know, give me an offer. I was just really excited at the time. And, you know, I really love the way they do things in the, their program. So 
you know, when it was time to make a decision, they they stood out the most. Just the culture. I felt like it was just going to be the best opportunity for me. So that's what made me really choose dating. Well, it's funny because like you were a top 50 or so kid in the country, maybe top 40, whatever your recruiting ranking was, like doesn't really matter the details. But like you were a very high level sought after recruit by a lot of high majors. I wonder if did when you talked to Dayton, did you feel like they felt like they had a chance to get you? Because you said that you had to reach out to them first. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? They, yeah, they didn't recruit me. Um, I did. I honestly didn't know. I, I I was just hoping that they would recruit me, and they did. So I I was just happy that they did. You know, I didn't know if they we we kind of thought it was like kind of a long shot. Um, when we called, I was I remember sitting in the car, and then after that, I had a connection with Coach Greer. Like we just started. We started talking. So it was it was just a I was just grateful for the opportunity. That's funny, man. That's really great. That's really smart though. I don't I don't know if enough recruits do that. Like yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard, especially oh, social media, yeah. the big schools, the big it's a lot it's a lot that goes into it, you know, but just learning like you gotta be smart about where you go to college. It's it's a big decision. You know, I feel like some kids need to really take their time and look into like what's best for them, you know. Um, system wise, it could be a big, big, like, you know, uh, what's it called? Power five school. High major. Yeah. yeah high whatever. major. It might not be. I still think Dayton's like a high, high mid major, you know, up there. So we're, I feel like it's a, you know, a really great basketball program. And I just thought it was the best situation for me. Though. Well, it's a great basketball city too. Yeah. Like people like in Dayton, it's the show, right? Like it is the show in town in Dayton. So that's huge. Um, and then the last thing, just what are your goals here for this upcoming season? Um, this season, you know, I just want to win games, be where my feet are. You know, we have targets on our back this year. I feel like, so we're just going to continue to work hard. I just want to win, you know, make, you know, just make the team happy, make this, you know, the city proud and, you know, do what I personally can. And um, the team's going to do what we can and, you know, just win as much as we can. Yeah. Well, Duran, thanks. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can, support the show. We will be back later this week with more. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye.